here with another installation of the Valhalla Movement podcast. And today we've got a conversation that's been meaning to happen, I think, for a long, long time. Um, we've got Jay Sable. Uh, sh- uh, wow, that worked out. <laughs> Jay Sable here with us today from OneCommunityGlobal.org. Um, and it's an initiative that I've heard about uh, and many people have pointed out to me um, over and over and over and over again. And I don't think we just, we never really ended up talking all that much. I think we chatted a little bit here and there on Facebook. Um, but before I get into that, I do want to promote um, the expansion of Valhalla has been kind of gaining steam recently. And we, we were trying to do more and more to promote education, to promote, um, you know, high quality media and to promote other people like what Jay is doing um, around the web, you know, other change makers, other world changers. And, and we really, really feel that one of the main things that we have to offer is um, our marketing expertise, our expertise in, in business and in, in understanding how to start one of these, how to get your voices heard online and that kind of stuff. And so we actually put out uh, something called Valhalla Agency which you can guys you can go and check out at agency.vahalamovement.com. And that's open to anybody who wants any form of marketing, whether it be websites, graphic design, whether it be hosting a podcast, whether it be consulting, whether it just be whatever it is that you're doing, we're looking to help you. But we're also looking to help the community of changemakers as well get jobs. So what if you have one of those skills? What if you're a web designer or a graphic artist or a videographer or a photographer? Well, you can actually submit your portfolio to us and we're going to receive jobs and we're going to try and dish it out to all the changemakers out there. So basically, we want you know, changemakers enabling changemakers. We want to connect the people who have the talent that these world-changing organizations need to you guys and so you guys could go and sign up you can you can hire us if you will um and you can learn more about what we're offering and how we're offering it at agency.vahalamovement.com now on to uh you know jay uh first of all thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast oh my pleasure thank you for having me yeah no i and i and i wasn't lying when i said this is a conversation that um, definitely needed to happen or, or was, was bound to happen at some point or another. So I'm happy. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy we're, we're finally doing it. Definitely. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, um, so let's, let's start off the beginning. Let's, what is one community? Um, and, and what, what are you guys looking to, to promote? What, what's, where did this come from? Like, what, how did this, how did this start? How did this happen? Where is it coming from? Like, just tell me the story. Yeah, for sure. Um, I come from a holistic health background, so exercise, kinesiology, and nutrition, and psychology, lifestyle coaching, that kind of stuff. And after 15 years, one community originally was going to be a place of healing, like mm. a, a healing retreat. And then uh, I was big on sustainability, and through my three-year nutrition uh, certification that I went through, I really learned about soil mechanics and organic food and that kind of stuff, and that got me into sustainability. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, with I basically put 15 years into thinking about it and putting it together and designing a business model that I thought would be really successful and that it would be super transformational for people by meeting their foundational needs and that the idea was that somebody would come and visit and at that point it wasn't called one community somebody would come and visit and through the experience of visiting like they would leave a different person Mm. and over time once we launched one community we actually put our website out there and we brought people we started putting together our team, we really realized that that the model itself could be designed in such a way that it could be duplicable. And um, what's real what the world really needs is not just a few transformed people. It needs hundreds of thousands and millions of transformed people. Yeah. And so it became very, very clear that um, open source was going to be our foundation. And we wanted to open source what it is that we were creating. And the idea of an individual retreat turned into a complete village actually a a series several eco villages that would be built so that somebody could come and visit and Mm. they could stay in an earth bag home or they could stay in a straw bale home or a cob home and they could get hands-on experience with that and so 
through this development process, we've realized like, well, if we can open source all this and open source the complete model mm -hmm. and actually open source the model of open sourcing, we can create a solution <laughs> model that's capable of creating solution creating models. So it's like 3D wow. complete eco villages and including all of that holistic health aspect in it too. So not just physical sustainability, which is the obvious food, energy, and housing, but the psychological and emotional sustainability, yeah. which a lot of people is a huge financial drain or energy drain as well. And so we want to address that also. So we built an open source education program that far exceeds traditional education. There's a recreation model that's built into there. There's highest good economics, so not just nonprofit, but also for-profit business models that are focused on the highest good of all. And then as well as truer stewardship and saying, okay, how can we as human beings look at our entire environment and like take ownership for that, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and address it responsibly and teach others how to do the same thing. Absolutely. And so you, you started learning about this through the whole learning of, I guess, you know, the word permaculture or through kind of organic eating and organic foods. And then all of a sudden it just, it escalates, right? It's like, yeah. and, and people ask me this all the time too. It's like, how did you end up being a part of Valhalla or how did it, how did you end up being one of the founders? And I was like, well, look, to be honest, I, I watched too many documentaries. I started learning a whole lot of stuff. And then, yeah. and then I was just, I was just like, I have to do this. I have to try it. I have to learn. And then as I learned more and more things started coming out and, and, you know, now recently we launched agency. We've, we've got something called green seed, which is our, you know, our very own crowdsourcing platform that we're building. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, we're trying to combine all the different things that we see are working out there and that are kind of like this open source call out to community type of mindset, right? And I think like things like Kickstarter and crowdfunding and those kind of things are revolutionary, really. Yeah. And now enabling that to how do we use this for more and more collective good, you know? And, and it's not just about, like you said, it's not just about physical sustainability like permaculture or I don't know, solar panels or earth ships or whatever it is, but it's also about like how do we financially uh, find a way to create jobs in the kind of sustainability kind of mindset. And I like to call it social entrepreneurism in a sense, right? Social good yeah. or social causes um, or for purpose businesses versus nonprofits. You know, how do, we, how do we also begin to shift the mindset of what it means to be sustainable? Because most people assume that the word sustainability needs to now be linked to some forest saving organization that right. is a nonprofit that, oh, you, how dare you sell products or how dare you, um, I don't know, treat it like a business. And it, and that's kind of, in my opinion, kind of stunted the growth of the sustainability movement. Right. And, and I kind of see, you know, I'm, I, I'm in a, I'm, I'm in a personal pickle where it comes to this word open source. And I think that you guys are, are, are really attacking that in a way that I, I actually admire. Um, and you guys, you know, I, I spent some time going through some of your videos of like the 3D models of of these massive community centers. I saw one that you guys had with uh, two geodesic domes. I think it was like three or four stories high and whatever it was. And I thought it was yeah. really, really, really interesting. And my main thought is, man, how much time and, and how much of a team did it take to build something like this? Or is this kind of open source thing also creating problems? You know what I mean? Like because things are open source, sometimes what that leads people to understand is interchangeably free, um, which kind of is true, but at the same time, that's tough, right? Like in today's world and in what's going on today, I'm sure we still need to find a way to kind of pay some of our bills or even if it's, even if you're running a fully self-sustainable you know, learning center, like let's say Valhalla or whatever, we still need to pay taxes. We still yeah. need to, there's still insurance and things that we have to have because we're, we're on the land. And if somebody can come and, and they can tear down our entire movement, if somebody just comes, boom, uh, you know, it's, it hurts himself, trips and falls and sues us. Now all of a sudden we, we, they can literally take down something like this if they wanted to. And it, I don't want to go into conspiracy theories about who might do that or whatever, but I'm talking about there is real costs into this. And so what I want to know, um, and I'm very personally, seriously curious about this is how have you, how has this open source mentality kind of been, um, feeding you and helping you? And what are some of the shortcomings that you might've, uh, been noticing so far? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, 
Well, I mean, as far as how it's been feeding us and helping us, it doesn't because none of us are paid. Mm-hmm. So our entire team is is volunteers. Our our for a global organization, we are arguably uh, the largest open source sustainability organization in the world. Mm-hmm. Our operating expenses, annual operating expenses, are like five hundred dollars a year. <laughs> wow. Because we're spread around the world. Now, the downside, you said, what are the problems? The problems are we're all working regular jobs and doing other stuff that we're doing. And so we're just, you know, good-hearted people interested in humanitarian stuff and philanthropic stuff. And so our entire team, all of our consultants, every single, there's nobody on our team that's paid. Mm-hmm. Everybody's donating their time, you know. And so we're dealing with all the stuff that everybody else is dealing with and making ends meet while we're doing this. That said, the model that we're building is designed to be a solution to that. You know, our whole purpose as an organization is to open source a complete sustainable village mm-hmm. as a stepping stone to a sustainable civilization. And mm-hmm. so the idea is that we want to put a number to what it would take to unplug from the matrix and create total and complete sustainability with a business model that would support everybody that's participating in that. And so what that boils down to is how much time is it going to cost and how much money is it going to cost for, say, 50 people to get together and set themselves up with an off-grid situation that they could run as an ecotourism resort and how much revenue would they make from that? So if they're going into it with debt, like what is the projection for them to be able to get out of that? Yeah. And so you put all that stuff together and you open source that, we can create a retirement plan, a viable, like completely done with traditional work retirement plan for people that they could look at and evaluate and say, hey, is this... Is this something that I would like to do instead of working my current job for the next 30, 40 years until I retire? Would I rather do this and do I know that and how would I do that? What would that look like? What's this lifestyle going to be instead of what I'm doing now? Absolutely. And the whole designed to give more than it takes. So every single group that adopts that creates another iteration of it. And the, and as a whole, like humanity is moving forward. It's Absolutely. all positive steps. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we could agree anymore because <laughs> we... Are on the exact same boat, right? It's yeah. like that's what Valhalla is all about. Is is totally. is you know, our at least our physical space and on our land here in Montreal is is all about. We have this piece of land. What are we going to do with it? And yeah. to be honest, at first we had never heard of Earthships. We had never thought about community centers. We had never thought about like, oh, we're going to build a village and whatever. What we just it was like, what are we going to do? And it really started with myself and two of uh, my best friends uh, who are still members of Valhalla, German and Greg. We went out there and we basically planted a tree, yeah. dug a pond, and we were like, okay, now what? And slowly but surely, I think we just kind of, all of us within this community are slowly but surely coming to the same conclusions, which it seems to be what you're pointing out is, why don't, if we can get a working model, if we can get a village, a small village set up with a some big community center that is attracting people, doing some version of ecotourism and education and allowing people to kind of own those roles and then kind of taking this and bringing it out to the masses as much as possible, whether it be open sourced or or cheap donation based or whatever, like that kind of mentality is exactly, exactly what we're doing. And, and you know, what I find is really, really interesting is it seems like there are more and more people jumping on this today, right? There are more and more people who, if you want to have the old world mentality about it, are competitors. Um, But the real truth is that there are more and more people who are actually collaborators, right? It's like the, the real question is, and you know, it's, it's, it's kind of tragic that we've only are only having this conversation today is like, how do we continue to work together? How do we continue to do this in a way that is going to empower both of our, you know, little eco community center, eco tourism centers, um, to get off the ground and to work and to and to start changing that mainstream culture, right? Yeah. And yeah. So, um, maybe just fill me in on this because maybe I'm in the dark here. Do you guys have a piece of land? Do you guys are you guys is that part of what you're doing as well as like looking for a particular location where you guys are going to do this? And then kind of what is your what's your timeline on some of this playing out? And I guess, you know, I am I fully am aware that your timeline could change in a, in a heartbeat in the sense that if somebody comes in and says, hey, you know what? I ran some multi-million dollar corporation. I made lots of money. Uh, I now want to be a part of this. Here's some cash. I'm sure it can speed things up. Right. But yeah, I'd love to hear where you guys are in this process today. And and, um, and even for the people listening, how they can join and be a part of it and help and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So we have a piece of property that we've identified and we've been working with for four years, but we don't own it. So we don't disclose the location just because it could change in an instant. Absolutely. That said, you know, the number one thing that we're looking for right now is that, you know, person that really, really could afford to to donate to our 501c3 nonprofit like I donate to Organic Consumers Association, mm-hmm. you know, be a fraction of their income and they really want to see world change happen the way that we're doing it. We could do that. It would, you know, increase our team exponentially. We could get boots on the ground and start doing a lot, open sourcing a lot of that process, which is really a precursor to buying a piece of property. And we've already done a lot of these details and review, but we really got, need to go to the next level. Mm-hmm. So... With that said, that's our number one focus. Secondary to that and, and leading in that direction, uh, we've got property in West Virginia, which one of our team owns. And so we're putting together a crowdfunding campaign to open source a three-dome cluster, which is the first of the village models that we're going to build is the 80-dome earthbag yeah. village. Now, you know, through conversations with open source ecology and just our research and like doing thermal engineering on earthbag construction, that kind of stuff, we're starting to look at that and say, all right, well, you know, this might not really be the best first most it it's it might not even be the cheapest village to build and so the three dome cluster that we want to build in West Virginia is going to compare earthbag construction to either aircrete or to earthblock and will completely open source a 200 square foot footprint earth dome 150 square foot earth dome and then another 200 square foot secondary option and our point is to do all of our thermal testing all of our engineering testing compare labor compare costs between those two so that we can have objective data on two exactly the same structures and by building these 200 square foot earth domes we will have essentially open sourced the entire earth dome village because we can extrapolate from that data exactly how much it would cost to build the whole village Mm. exactly how much labor it's going to take what you can expect with that and we can make a decision on whether or not that's the direction we want to go or if we're going to switch to another and go that route for the first village. Because our goal is to provide the most viable option for people out there. Absolutely. Ability and labor. And Earthbag is really labor-intensive, as you guys know, from doing your Earthships, you know, just like yeah. this. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And, and, and it's not... Um as simple as it seems on the surface, it's not as simple when you kind of start factoring in all of these things, right? And you really need to figure out, okay, like, where's the water table? Okay, what are the zoning laws in your area? What are the um, restrictions in your area? What are the, uh, the, 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 the biological conditions of, of whatever is going on around you, right? The ecology yeah. around you is going to shift and change. Do you have a south-facing property or where is the south-facing, uh, you know, slope? Where is the north? Where... You know, where is the water coming from? Is is the water coming from uh, groundwater that is polluted by next door GMO fields and and pesticide ridden stuff? You know, you have to really, really, really take into account a whole lot of stuff that you can't even imagine. And yeah. you know, over the last two years, uh, this has been my job, well, along with others at, at Valhalla. Is I've literally gone down the biggest rabbit hole of education in my entire life, um, personally, on, on all of these things. And I've looked at everything from earth bags to straw bale to cob to, um, yeah, if you want to call it adobe, if you want to uh, geodesic domes, uh, shipping containers. Uh, and, and now, uh, you know, and airships, obviously. And, and now I'm kind of personally really, really, really sold on the um, the passive homes, mm-hmm. right? Which are made with kind of uh, super insulated walls, much thicker, um, but with way more conventional uh, construction materials. Right. And we've been working with a team of architects and engineers um, about something we call now the Valhalla Villas. And they're basically going to be, you know, homes all the way from down to a tiny home to a small home, medium home, large home, a system really of homes. Well, what we've done is we've created a whole bunch of different Lego blocks and we're enabling people like you or whoever, whoever wants to build their own home to assemble those Lego blocks and kind of play with them on an online platform where they can actually build their own house. And so we're open sourcing that whole platform, which is going to have all, everything you need on that platform is going to be there. And then you can just kind of like donate in a sense or kind of buy those plans or whatever you end up making. But you don't have to buy it. You can just make it and save it and keep it there. And, and, and whenever you're ready or whatever, you can, you can just kind of donate and buy it. And this is a platform we haven't built just yet. Um, but we have now designed, for the most part, uh, these houses and these things. And we're, and we're trying to do this in a way because 
part of what we we have felt and we have um, kind of dealt with in building our Earthship is that the city and people around us, even our neighbors, although they believe in sustainability, I think if you approach every single individual, including the mayor of the town or, or the, you know, whatever, uh, all the way up to the, like the president, if you will, okay, they will all say they believe in sustainability. But when it comes down to what the laws are about construction materials, what the laws are about uh, zoning laws and all that stuff, the truth is that the easiest way to make this go mainstream, for me, in my opinion, is to also use a little bit more conventional building materials. And it sucks because there is a, there is a, maybe some version of a cost increase that goes with that. Yeah. But it's like, but these can be built in the middle of downtown New York City. You know what I mean? It's like, right. that's, where's the trade-off? It's like, would I rather see it be built in these cities and, and in these areas where they can, you know, like just with a snap of a finger, look at this and be like, yeah, okay, this is totally conventional. You guys could build this. Yet it's still 100% off the grid in the sense that it's still you know, passive solar, uh, it's got all the, the, the properties of catching rainwater, uh, dealing with its own sewage, growing food inside, all that stuff, right? But yeah. not kind of, you know, yes, not necessarily the cheaper, but yes, labor-intensive versions of like earth bags, earth ships, all that kind of stuff, yeah. right? So, I, yeah, I wonder how, um, you know, I guess on this piece of land or in elsewhere, have you guys been exploring and dealing with the city have like has cities been restricting you more and more and have you guys been how, how are you navigating that and that's kind of i'm also yeah. very interested in well the reality is, is we need both both options and so you know we need the more technologically advanced version that's probably only available in first world countries and then we need the labor intensive not so advanced version that could be shipped and built easily in third world countries where there are no permits Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the property that we've chosen, the county is really excited about working with us. And so they're very favorable to that. And same thing with the property in West Virginia. So we've already gotten their approval as far as the earth bag construction. Okay. Uh, wow. So all the, and so this is part of it. You know, we want to expand the international building code to include these types of methodologies so that we clear away those roadblocks internationally. To building this kind of stuff and the more of these things that we can get the more counties we can get on board the easier that becomes mm. that said recognize that there's some counties that aren't even going to go for it which is why our designs are 150 square feet and 200 square foot footprints because in the united states if you're under 200 square feet a lot of those structures a lot of counties don't require a permit for those structures and wow. in a lot more if it's under 150 square feet you don't require a permit so our goal is and what we're doing is we're designing that with all these natural, you know, you can get it anywhere type of materials okay. and work the furniture and everything that goes inside of it. So when people see it, they're like, damn, that's a really cool guest house. That's a really cool playroom. That's a really cool work studio. That's a really cool bathroom dome or whatever it is. And I can mm -hmm. build it without a permit. And so that's what we want to open source and show uh, that. Okay, so I get it. It's so around this, that. So the strategy has been to go small, kind of circumvent the areas of the law where where, like you said, they, they don't require the permits, and therefore that enables you guys to, to do a better, like keep your costs low, right? Yep. In, your, in your testing and in, in kind of like, you know, while I, I call it playing in the sandbox. When we play oh. in the sandbox, we can keep our costs low. We can test out what are the best practices. What did we like about what we just built? What did we didn't, did not like? Where can we improve? Where can we, you know, update the plans or upgrade um, as oh. much as possible? And then use that to slowly but surely shift the culture and the mindset so that hopefully eventually people do accept that the counties do start accepting this kind of stuff and it becomes yeah. more and more mainstream i love that i love i think that makes a lot of sense um we're you know we're going at it um on a more traditional direct to the market level which is like we're doing both, right? Like we are going to have the tiny house version. We built the Earthship, or we we wanted to do a dome, or we're trying. Like our, you know, Valhalla and the, at least this five acre piece that we've started on uh, within the sixty acres is all about that. It's all about the yeah. testing, right? It's like, okay, what can we build? How can we build it? And you know, we were going to build this welcome desk. We had done this massive design. We were going to put it out there. You know, the designs for free. We like we were doing with our living solar shed now, slowly but surely. Um, and we, um, as I get to it, <laughs> and and we were on it to build a welcome desk out of a container. And the city yeah. right away said, oh, no, you know, we have laws that say no green roofs because we want a container with a green roof. They're like, no green roofs and no containers and permanent structures. 
And we were just like, why? Like, what exactly is this inhibiting? And it there's no rationale to that. And in, as opposed to fighting that, and, and we could, right? But the problem is that it's a fight that's on such a small scale local level that we were just like, man, that's so discouraging. How can we build something that they can't say anything about? And that's kind of how we went down this pa- tangent with these architects at Lef and stuff is, is, is how do we build something that is fully conventional but still does not sacrifice any of the ideals um, that we have? And, and I think this is a huge challenge, you know, and a lot of people are taking interest in earthships and in eco-construction more and more and more. Um, and there's many, many players in this. But at the same time, there's not that many. And I haven't seen anybody fully address the mainstream kind of model um, in a way that just kind of tweaks it just a little bit enough that it goes all the way to feeling, yes, we feel good about it. But at the same time, um, you know, is acceptable pretty much in most counties. That's great. Yeah. It's absolutely essential. I mean, I think yeah. that's fantastic because you guys are filling in a gap. Like, that's a piece that we truly are not addressing other than by the unpermitted version and then providing a permitted version. But we know that our permitted version mm-hmm. isn't accepted in isn't a lot it? of counties until it's accepted enough in, in other counties. Yeah. Oh, and that's... Work. We really want the third world uh, to want to address the third world need with its first village model. Yeah. So it's beautiful. I mean, what we're doing goes hand in hand. It's it awesome. does. It does. And, 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 and I think... You know, we're we, we want to also enable other people who are part of this to help us spread it, and we're going to try and give financial incentives to spreading it. We're going to try and give some support and 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 graphic materials, and this is why we started the agency. This is why we started Green Seed, is so that it's not just about um, our projects, right? It's not like, hey, Jay, help me sell this so that we can build it, and you will you will all see this happen now. I think part of that is like, yes, we need to get one of these up, right? We need an eco-village um, kind of in every part of the world that kind of really get out there and thrive. And there's tons of eco-villages out there, but uh, a lot of them, in my mind, fail to tell a good story. Um, and they fail to do really good marketing. And, and um, what that leads to is an easy bastardization of the story, which is somebody can be like, oh, they're eco-village? Yeah, a bunch of tree-hugging hippies. And it and it just dis- it shatters what is really going on there and so again to make this mainstream it's not even just about how many tires do we pound how many buildings do we build how many trees do we plant but also how well do we tell the story yeah yeah and it seems like you you guys are are fairly um well versed in that you seems like you guys are getting getting even better and better and better at getting more and more of these like i I, i'm gonna assume that they're google sketchup renders and and these these plans and things and and you're kind of playing a role within the cultural memes of social media and the websites and stuff of getting that message more and more heard. And yeah. how important do you think that is? How important do you, do you, you know, like do, how much of your success as a, as this kind of this tribe that is going around making this, uh, do you attribute to this, to that, just that notion of, of storytelling, if you will? Yeah, it's absolutely essential. You know, and our whole model is really built on taking that to the next level by creating, you know, the first eco-village is meant to have a 30% transient population. So that means 30% of the people living there will be visitors so that we can expose more and more people. And that's really, you know, so what we're doing right now is very successful. And Mm -hmm. obviously the next step on that is to invite people to come and visit and to get hands-on experience and live in that environment and have a constant you know, turning wheel of more and more people visiting and having this experience and then everything that they experience, they can take for free, you know? Mm. And so the financial benefit for us is that people are coming and paying to stay in a home. The benefit for the individual is they get to actually stay in something before they build it. And if they like it, the plans and everything are completely 100% free and not just free plans, but with step-by-step tutorial videos that will walk you through every step of the process. And then mm-hmm. if you'll build the whole entire eco-village and model the model then we're here to hold their hold people's hands through that process and now we have a second destination where people can come and stay and experience it and if they like it and once again there's the whole self-replicating model so yeah. i think it's absolutely essential we need to write a new story for humanity and this is our path of doing that you guys are doing it too i mean there's so many of us getting it now yeah and it's just so exciting i mean every time i see one of your guys' posts every time <laughs> i see open source ecology mm-hmm. it's just like yeah it's happening like we're a small group, but we're having a huge impact. Yeah. And it's accelerating. We're shifting. Yeah. And, and we're a small group, but then when you see, like, the number of people that go out to the climate march or something, and then you're like, whoa, wait a second. 
We're yeah. a small group, but not really. I think I think there's a lot of people who I don't think would say that they work in the space or that they kind of identify with the space fully, um, yeah. but that fully 100% support it. Again, totally. if I go to every single person I talk to and I say, hey, do you think we should live in a more sustainable world? I don't, I've never come across the person that was like, no. Nah, right. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, everyone understands that we are creating some version of problems. Now, are there people who don't believe in global warming or people who believe that whatever is whatever conspiracy theory or whatever it is, and I'm not saying I do or don't believe any of them. To be honest, I don't know. I just don't, okay, for all those people who want to ask us those questions. Um, I don't know. I, I wish I did, but I don't. Uh, there's definitely fishy things, but all I can say is that I'm focused on the solutions. Totally. And in those solutions, there are more and more people in the more mainstream way of life that are taking more and more action towards this. And I think also more and more businesses are actually recognizing this too. And I know it sounds freaking crazy, but I've been hearing a lot about McDonald's trying to make a shift towards organic and, and yeah, literally. Yeah. Apparently they're going to launch it as a couple of organic menu items. And their goal is to actually move towards all their ingredients being organic, uh, over time, which uh, look, this is purely hearsay. I, I haven't read it somewhere necessarily yet, but this has been like people telling me and people who know people who kind of work in, in management and McDonald's and stuff. And I'm like, Whoa, really? Like that's crazy. Wow. And I was that's just like, crazy. Yeah, and, and I can't look clearly I'm not the guy who's like, Yeah, go eat McDonald's today. But um but I, I do understand and recognize the role that look, corporations are here to stay for at least for another while. And we need to at least start shifting them and we need to start kind of through our own actions, through our individual choices, by voting with our dollar, voting with our attention, voting with our, our clicks, voting with everything that we do. Everything we do, everything we give attention to is a way of us voting. And if we vote for the sustainable options more and more and more, if we, if we buy the organic produce, if we um, you know, pay a little extra or whatever it is for whatever, for whatever we believe in, that price is going to start dropping and the like, you know, the price of solar panels have been dropping, like the price of organic food has been dropping, and then we're going to start sh seeing that shift naturally occur because there's no the second organic food is cheaper than than GMO food, which I don't know, you know, how long that's going to take, but the second that is is there, there's no doubt that everyone's going to be like GMO or organic, definitely organic, right? right? Like there's nobody's going to look at their GMO and be like, you know what, I, th I think I prefer that one. <laughs> right, right. they're not going to take that risk there's no reason right. and so um as you said we're a small group of 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 people working on this consistently i agree with you on that but i think yeah. we are definitely a larger and larger population uh and support group uh to this i think but i think you know for me a major shift that needs to kind of start playing itself out and and, and there's this, this bad word in the ecological movement which is business um, I think we need to make a little bit more efforts towards a business model that works for us because I would love to see that you guys don't have an operating budget of 500 bucks annually you know what I mean and there's no, no reason that budget. you you know that's, I, that's our cost yeah fine but I mean yeah there's no doubt about the fact that if you can kind of have a higher budget and ramp up your your kind right. of your operations that this would move faster and be more efficient it would be easier and then number and it's not even about that it's not about necessarily efficiency but that you guys could commit your time and energy into more and more efforts and uh and and energy going into those solutions right it's yeah. like how much how much faster could it go if you have a team of the leading experts and architects and engineers helping you design these open these open source plans, then oh. if you have to kind of do it on your own, learn everything from Google SketchUp to whatever, you know, uh, I don't know, AutoCAD or Revit or whatever, all those plan makers, like that is, look, I, I praise you for doing it. Uh, and But I, I would love to just see more of us in this space finding more of an economic balance within that. Yeah. Okay. Well, and that's even the complete model. That's the whole idea why we want to get it on the property. Because as we start building, you know, the first village will have a revenue generating potential over exactly. a million dollars. So yeah. it's virtually no overhead because you have your energy expenses, your food expense, all that stuff is built into it. So yeah. that's the ultimate business model that I see. And then it not only, you know, supports everybody living within that container, but it promotes the container and helps to duplicate the container for other people as well. And so that's the that's the ultimate idea and where we're moving towards, you know? And so 
yep. while our budget is super, super, our expenses are super, super low, everything that we have in addition to that goes into working towards that ultimate goal because that's true self-sustainability and self-sufficiency. Absolutely. So, yeah. hey, I want to give a plug to two different apps right now that really relate to what you just said. If people haven't checked them out, check out Bicot okay. and Bipartisan Apps. Okay. Bipartisan BUI and Bicot BUI. Okay. Uh, for these apps, they'll allow you to scan the barcodes on anything and see who the parent companies are. And really? Parent companies support. Yeah, and bipartisan. Really? And it'll tell you the way that they do it is they analyze who the decision-making boards are for the companies and the decisions that they've made. Then they actually put it on on bipartisan. They put it on a percentage, like oh, you know, Ben and Jerry's is like seventy percent Democratic. You know, you're probably seventy, approximately based on their research, seventy percent of your dollars are going to go to Democratic Democrat causes versus Republican. Versus wow. if you look at something like Pepsi, you know, it's like ninety percent Republican causes. You look at where they're putting their money. Really. And so and it's cool because it's bipartisan. You know, if you want to vote Republican, scan your stuff. <laughs> you totally can do that. If you want to vote Democrat with your money, scan your stuff. You know, or wow. at least that's the value system. Yeah. That's really interesting. I've never heard of that. That's amazing. Okay, cool. well, I'm definitely going to plug that, and I'm definitely going to uh, make more of a note about that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, with cool. Bicot, with, with Bicot, that one is based on specific issues. So you can put in GMO, and then you can see companies that have weighed in on GMO. So it's not bipartisan. is about partisanship. Yeah. It's about, hey, like boycott the companies that are supporting, you know, things or trying to shut down stuff that you believe in. Wow. And, so, and that's yeah, going based on scanning the, the barcode of any product. Yeah, you can walk through a grocery store and you just scan it with your phone. Oh, phones. my God. That's amazing. Yeah. That's it's genius. Really cool. See, see, that's this is exactly what I was talking about is that not only are are is it important to have that eco village but it's just as important to have like kind of these tools that are that are online at this point um, and and that allow us and the people who are not part of that eco village to kind yeah. of get on and and start being a part of this movement and this is that's such a great that's that's awesome I, I love hearing about that I never heard about that I can't that is absolutely genius um, and it's definitely the, I mean, I can't think of a better way to figure out what products are going to, you know, like where are your dollars going? Oh, right? you go scan everything that you're eating right now. I mean, yeah. you don't even have to go to the grocery store. Like, oh man, this is something I buy regularly. Where, what am I doing with this? And then you can make a decision instantly whether or not you want to keep buying that product. Brilliant. Briv, absolutely brilliant. I love that. Yeah. Um, wow. You just shook my world right there. I, I'm definitely going to look into that. So huge potential. So I want to ask you more about, I know you don't, you can, so you don't have, you don't own the land just yet, but you guys want to own the land. Obviously. Um, if, like, first of all, where is that? If, if you had the ideal location of setting up your first kind of eco-community village, learning center or whatever, where is, in your mind, where is that looking like? Well, you know, we had 30 different criteria that we used for selecting the property, and we spent two years looking at properties before we found the one that we wanted. One of the biggest, one of the couple of the biggest uh, criteria were number one is that it's got to be easily accessible, mm -hmm. so fairly close to a major airport, because we want ultimately we want to be hosting hundreds of thousands of people, you mm -hmm. know, long term, or when you look at it over a period of like a decade. Yeah. You know, so it's got to be easily accessible. It's got to be a property that has enough beauty, and I would recommend this for anybody that wants to start. You know, some sort of model, anything similar to what it is that we're doing. Mm -hmm. A property that has enough beauty that people would want to come and visit it before the infrastructure is built. Yeah. So people want to come out so you can start exposing people to the process and get large groups of people that come out and want to see the building process, get their hands dirty, that kind of deal. Absolutely. Um, you know, and then the property that we chose was chosen specifically with an expectation that our planet's going to get warmer, with an expectation that, you know, we don't want our water to be able to be diverted. You know, so it makes sense to have adequate water supplies coming out of the ground on the property instead of, you know, something that could disappear, which has happened for a lot of people. Mm. You know, so, um, you know, and that, and then you know, fairly, fairly reasonable, you know, growing seasons and that kind of stuff. So those are your foundations. The number one is the is the the exposability though. Like, how easy is it for people to visit, and are people already traveling to the area so that when you start decide that you want to launch an ecotourism type business. Our goal is to be successful enough that we build the marketing engine that will support people that can build in more remote locations. You know, and so like we're open sourcing everything that we're doing, the marketing engine is designed so that other people won't have to do it. 
yeah. and in collaboration and just by contributing to the open source collaborative they join the team <laughs> we promote them and it's all everybody wins that's exactly like you couldn't nail exactly what we're doing more so, in the head you know we even recently uh, here's another caveat we we launched something called montreal.vahalamovement.com so our project started in Montreal, but we wanted Vala to be more than just our Montreal-based product project. Yeah. So what we did is we took all the information on our site and we put it all in the Montreal site. And the idea is that we can open up in any area, right? Let's say New York State or Pennsylvania or California, and we can just open up like, you know, losangeles.vahalamovement.com. And then, you know, that's the chapter that is there. And so yeah. we actually built a standard template so that people can not only come and build their own site on our site in a sense, and we're getting to the point of like how we how people could build the site like without us yeah. coding it, but they can use the template and build the site in the back end via WordPress and stuff. And then if they have like content that is like more global, right? Like I don't know, ten reasons why our ships are awesome or whatever, that would go onto the major site. Like on the yeah. main site where all the, you know, chapters and all the kind of collective news of what's going on is flowing in and out of. Um, yep. And so, yeah, that's kind of, you know, like like you said, building the marketing machine is just as important right now as building the, um, you know, the, the eco village machine, I think. And, totally. and that's really what we're looking to support. That's what Green Seed is all about, is an enabling people to finance their projects, not only, but not only finance them from a project based thing. Uh, for scenario which is like I want to build a greenhouse we need $10,000 uh, you know give us some cash and we'll give you rewards but also based on movements so ongoing campaigns like Patreon might have or whatever um, and crowdsourcing more than money crowdsourcing materials crowdsourcing uh, labor and people crowdsourcing talent even if you're if you're willing to pay that talent like hey we need an architect we don't know have an architect in our area who's willing um, or and crowdsourcing voice Crowdsourcing yeah. that marketing voice of saying, hey, look, I don't have money. I don't have time. I'm halfway around the world. I cannot give you resources. I can't give you anything more than my ability to click. Yeah. And that's, you know, when, this, when we talk about voting with our attention, voting with our dollars, voting with our time, that exactly is what Green Seed is, is vote with your fill in the blank here. And you can vote with all of them and you can vote with one of them. You can vote with um, which project you want to give it to. Um, and how you want to support that. And so if that project is local to you and you want to be, you know, only supporting something that's local, so, so be it. And, yeah. and if there's no project that's out there and you don't know, you know, how, like you're not seeing anything happening in your local area, you can be that project. Exactly. And, and so, you know, we, like we're just, I, we're not the best people at building our ships. We're not the best people at doing permaculture. Um, we're getting better and better and better at it, and we're only two years in, really, uh, two and a half years, I guess, now. Um, but what we are really good at is getting the word out, and what we are really good at is building a system that will enable us to get better and better and better at it. Exactly. What I can say is that we, we've had a challenge of scale right now, and that's what we're facing right now is that we're, we're in the point where we have to systemize everything, right? Systemizing our accounting, systemizing, because there's so many every weekend on our land, we have like dozens of volunteers that come. And so dealing with all these people, all the emails that now are starting to come in, all the amount of like questions yeah. and, 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 you know, piece of information that people want. So we need to create a bigger and bigger system. And what we're doing is we're kind of at this point, we're saturated based on our team size because we right. all are volunteers, right? We're not paid to do this. Um, oh. And we're trying to change that. And we're trying to, you know, through agency and these kind of things, green seed and stuff as well. But I'd like to hear how you guys have dealt with the, the challenge of scale and people being able to join. And then how is that like, how is that decided? Because here's the other thing. There are many, many people who want to join, who express interest in joining, but then because we are the people running it, they, they're still looking to us for approval for everything that we're, that they need to do, which it fully makes sense. That's an old world mentality, right? I join an organization, there's a boss, and then I listen to what the bosses and the other people have been there for much longer and here to say. I'm not saying that they shouldn't listen. What I am saying is that we, we are struggling to empower as many people as possible in that particular way. So I'd yeah. love to hear, you, you. I mean, you're an organization full of volunteers. Love to hear about your challenges in that and your successes in that, any ideas or tools that might be interesting. You know, what are what are things that you guys are using that might empower people to come to better decisions and do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, 
So challenges first, um, you know, we've learned the hard way in the last four years of doing this full time for me. Mm -hmm. uh, that it's really important to have a clear value system and to make sure that you're really clearly communicating. I mean, our number one recommendation to anybody starting any organization or even a relationship, you name it, is get really clear on what your values are, really clearly communicate those values, like put them on the table so that everybody knows what they are and so you can have an open conversation that people can choose in if they want to, but don't hold anything back because if you do that, you know, it turns into an issue in the future. And so, you know, we've learned that and the solution to that is go to onecommunityglobal.org and, and, and look at our application process. Okay. It's ridiculous. I mean, we've had people tell us that it's taken them 10, 12 hours to fill out our application. You know, really? and so and the way that we do our selection process, because none of our team knew each other before we started this project. Like we weren't a group of friends that said, hey, we should start One Community Global. We I launched a website and then reached out to the global community. And then through this process of just, you know, meeting people, we built it to where it is right now. And now we have a really cohesive team that didn't know each other before this. And that whole team, every member of that team that joins is selected by the existing team. Mm -hmm. So we have you know, a multi-interview process where every individual's questions get asked of the person that's being interviewed, you know, and everybody's in agreement to bring those folks onto the team. Mm -hmm. And so that's it, you know, and, and it's important because our, our decision-making process is a collaborative decision-making process where everybody weighs in. And, you know, we've learned the hard way that one person that has a different value system than everybody else on the team can become a massive energy drain as everyone tries to get them to see like, no, wait a minute, like there's a highest good of all philosophy here that's really clear to all <laughs> of us for you and we're also loving so we want to hear your concerns and simultaneously yeah. literally putting the brakes on this decision and it's in, a, in opposition to the values. And so the other way that we've dealt with that is if you go to our website, you'll see that all of our values are really clearly listed, which is part of communicating exactly who we are. Mm -hmm. But it also says specifically how we use each one of those values in our decision-making process. And mm. so we have to go to where it's like, look, we're all individuals. Our goal is to enrich the organization. But we're not here to debate whether or not we agree on sustainability. Like we're yes. a sustainability organization. We should never have an argument about whether or not we should open source something because it's a core value. Like if the answer is always yes. And then once we've done that, if people have concerns about open sourcing something, then we go, okay, the answer is we're gonna open source this. And now that we know that, now let's take all the concerns and let's see how we can create the best win-win possible with the open source piece already a yes. Now we can address like how's the best way to do that instead of debating whether or not it's going to be open source. Does that make sense? And it's a I really fully big deal. I understand that. Yes. Yeah. 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 And 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 it's a challenge. It's a real real challenge to have group meetings. I don't know how often you guys have them, how often you guys end up meeting. Weekly, yeah, same here. So to have group meetings that enable more and more people to understand what's going on on the ground, to understand what's happening, to understand all the variety of topics that can possibly yes. go into it, to have everyone be aligned on the values and understand, hey, we're here for you. Like you said, we're loving, we are understanding, but hey, man, we're, we're doing this for the greater good. And then deal with it, the moments where even the most loving awesome of people sometimes end up in a space where they're frustrated or they're, they're yeah. whatever and they might be proposing something that isn't fully a hundred percent aligned with it right and aligned with what you're doing and and so it's a slow process yeah for the most part and it's um unfortunately a process that most organizations and this is why organizations have i, I think naturally structured themselves the way they do don't necessarily flow through that kind of stuff now don't get me wrong. Organizations have tons of red tape, right? Like there's big, massive corporations of all kinds that ha that take forever to get an answer and a decision on. And it's like, who's the who makes the de this decision? And it's just being flopped around from person to person to person. And when I go to see like a local government office of any kind and I ask anything that is outside of a standard question or like, hey, can like can I speak to a decision maker? It's incredible to watch the scramble of like, wait a second. Nobody sees themselves as that decision maker. You right. know what I mean? Like nobody, everyone thinks it's somebody else and somebody else. And it's like, does this go all the way up to the president or prime minister or whatever, you know, depending on where you're at? Or is it like, you know, well, how does this happen? How does this work? And yeah. it's tough. 
it's really, really tough. I don't think there's one particular answer. I mean, we've we've explored the the general concept of sociocracy. How good are we at like implementing that? Um, it's not. We're definitely not perfect at it. There's no doubt about that. And the other thing is that we're we're again kind of limited right now in scale because of of who can show up when we're having our meetings. And then yeah. you know, like all that, all these factors and elements are are really, 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 really challenging. And so it seems like some of the best ways to do this is to empower more small groups to be able to do their own projects. Uh, and I'm, and so you're pointing and, and shaking. I was going to ask you, do you agree? Uh, I can clearly right. So that's kind of what we need to do is create working groups. Yeah. versus big organizations where we're trying to get everyone's opinion in on what we should do next and how we should do it. Yeah. And it's like we need to trust leaders within these organizations and within these working groups to be like, okay, look, guys, I've got the information from all the other groups and I've I see the big picture and this is what I'm going to do. My job is going to be the puzzle maker, if you will. And that's what yeah. I'm going to kind of going to lead us in this direction. And you just have to trust that what I'm doing and what I'm saying is going to benefit and co- collaborate and, and correlate with all the rest of the groups. Okay. That's exactly what we do it. Yeah. And, and we've seen an acceleration in that process through trust. Yep. Um, and through understanding that, you know, anybody's projects could be, could be accepted as well. Right. It's not just one person's project, no matter where their ranking are, or no matter how correlated they are with the rest of the group. Anybody who comes up with a good idea who can explain, in our case, it's why, what, how, and how, like who, what, where, where, when, why, and how. If you can answer six questions, who, what, where, when, why, and how of your project and like how it applies. And then the sub questions that come from that, right? Like if you're giving an explanation, you say something and I just ask you a quick question of clarification. You yourself as the project creator are going to know whether or not you actually know the answer. And if you don't, then you're like, okay, wait a second. I need to work on that more. Because a project is not going to work unless I answer some of these questions. The exact same thing applies to business, right? Yeah. The exact same thing applies if I was running a just a brick and mortar business, I would have to answer some of the questions like, oh, so this client wants to uh, get this product, but they can't pick it up because their car is too small. Do you guys offer delivery? That is a simple question. Like, it, it's just a, yeah. And if you hadn't thought about it, you're going you're gonna to miss out on a sale. And yeah. so the same applies to to group dynamics when it comes to a community mindset is like empowering people to bring projects to the table, get involved, but at the same time, stay abreast. And so my, my question to you is when you're having these meetings, and, and this is something I've been considering, are you posting any of this information so that people could track or that somebody who couldn't attend can kind of follow up on or read or, or get the spark notes on? Like, what are you guys doing that on that level? Cause I would yeah. love to, to mimic and to, to help kind of bring that process more into the open as, and as transparent as possible, but it is nonetheless a challenge. Yeah. Well, I mean, our organization is different than yours cause you guys can meet in real space. You yeah. know, we are meeting from, I mean, we have, we have people in Ukraine and people in Australia. And mm. so, I mean, crazy time zones and stuff like that. But um, for our core team, we all make the calls, you know, and it's actually a requirement from our organization. Like if you don't make the calls, there's consequences for not making the calls because they're so important. Yeah. So everybody's on the call. And if somebody needs to leave early, then they just go first as far as communicating. And then we collaborate. And in addition to that, if for some reason somebody can't make the whole call, we record the calls. And so everybody has access to listen to the complete recorded call. But if okay. we have something important to talk about, you know, then we make sure that we talk about that first while everybody can be present to that conversation. And mm. communicate. It didn't used to be that way. We learned the hard way. Yeah. You know, tried to do collaboration in forums. We tried to do collaboration via email. We tried to do collaboration on calls where everybody wasn't required. Where it was just like, hey, everybody knows like you're required, but there's no consequences. Yeah. And things came up. And so eventually, we're like, all right, well, you know, if you don't make these calls X number of times, like now you have an additional contribution to the community, which you support anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's a win for you because it's something you care about. But it's going to be more work, and yeah. all of a sudden, everybody showed up for the calls. Wow, it's great. Wow. So that way, we can get things done because we need. Because otherwise, one person not being present to the conversation that might have a really, really great idea, 
then that conversation is basically wrapped up and the rest of the core team has already had it yeah. and that great idea can be presented and it's not like oh that's like we talked about it's like oh crap we didn't even think about that mm-hmm. like shoot we need to have this conversation over we wish you would have been a part of the conversation like we need to re-engage and now you have an entire team reinvesting their time it's very yeah. everybody's not there yeah it is very um very very tough to not to, to have lack of presence Lack of presence with the mentality of somebody who says, wait a second, you've already granted me permission to make decisions. Yeah. Right? It's one thing to say, like, somebody who, who just, and I'm sure you get these emails all the time, I'd love to help. And yeah. then you're like, hey, sure, show up to, to this or show up to this call. And then they never show up or they were never really given a, the position of kind of like, okay, we've fully accepted you through our entire process. Um, yeah, yeah. And then that, you know, that consequence is much smaller than it is to the person who's like, wait a second, I was waiting for an update from so-and-so person, and now they're not here, and so this is making this conversation kind of pointless. Not pointless, right. but have to drag for much longer than it than it needed to yeah. if everyone was around, right? And yeah, yeah, it's a challenge. I think right now that's the other thing we're, we're talking about is like what are the systems that we can put in place so that these conversations can continue to flow? And right. currently, you know, our entire group um that meets every week but also that it was extended people who have like come and stayed with us for months and still want to stay in touch all of this is happening on facebook we have a facebook group yeah. and we just kind of chat there um but we're finding the inefficiencies of that now we're pretty good at all checking it which is really great at least the core team is um yeah. but now the question is how do we move to something that is like more visible you- and that more people can see are you familiar with freeconferencecalling.com which is free conference lines no i didn't Okay, so I'll give you two of them because we had a problem with one and we both of them are awesome. So there's freeconferenceusa.com. Okay. And then there's uh, freeconferencecalling.com. Both okay. of these sites are free conference lines. You can host up to, it's like a 2,000 people on a conference call. Oh, you wow. can record the calls. It costs nothing. They're free. And people just and need to call in. People call in and you can call in from Skype or Google also. So people who don't want to use cell phone minutes, if they have limits, that kind of deal. Yeah. It has been invaluable for us. And they have ways where you can people can raise their hand. So you can you know mute the call if you have a whole bunch of people or background noise. You can mute yeah. individual people and then people can raise their hand if they want to say things. We don't have to do that. You know, It's quiet enough to where people just talk and it flows. Okay. So much more efficient than trying to do like Facebook or emails or yeah. forums. How many people are you guys on these calls? Uh, we've got anywhere. Like we got like eight or nine people on the calls. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you guys yeah, are so running at the same very, uh, basically the same level and capacity as what we are right now, physically. Yeah. We're doing yeah. it physically in person for the most part. And then we disseminate the information to, I would say, like a second tier of people who, who definitely exactly. pay attention, but not in the same way and same level, yeah. um, which is maybe another 30 people, maybe, give or oh. take, a little less. Um, and then that kind of flows out into the public uh, eventually. Yeah, yeah. And it's tough. That's a, you know, now I've been considering like when we first started, we wanted to record all our meetings and then export it, the whole thing. The problem is sometimes our meetings are like two, three hours long. It depends on how much we need to talk about. Just the physical idea of exporting a two or three hour long video does not make sense. So then we talked about maybe we should do it audio. Um, and now, you know, at one point we had done like one or two meetings where we were giving up spark notes, just five minutes of like, here's what went down. Here's what we talked about. Here was our decision. Here's what went down. Here's what we talked about. Here's our decision. And, um, I think we're going to get back to that spark note version. I've been thinking about it more and more free conference call. I mean, I guess you could just record it as an MP3 and upload it, but free yeah. conference calling gives you a, a URL. A full and recording. It gives you an embed code also. Really? So you could record them and just embed it. And that's the way we do it too. We do announcements up front, check in for time limitations, and then we go individually through everybody so everybody has a chance to talk, and then we wrap up with like community discussion time. And then we do the same thing that you did, which if this is for other people, like highly recommend the consensus decisions and agreements that are made in our organization are agreements to delegate responsibility mm-hmm. to other people. You know, it's like, okay, great. We're all in agreement that you're the best person to handle this. So handle it. Like, we trust you. And if you have any questions, we trust you to bring those questions to the group. But other yeah. than that, like, we're all working on our individual pieces. And then we bring that to the meeting every week. Like, this is my accomplishments. This is what I'm doing next week. Any questions, any comments, any concerns? I'm wondering what people think about this. Everybody chimes in. And then the process just keeps moving. It's ridiculously efficient. Yeah, yeah. And it and it's that comes with years of practice, I think. Right? Yes, like you're, if. Keep yes, keep your keep in mind anybody who's starting something like this. You guys, 
might think it's going to work differently. I'm telling you it won't. Um, yes. But you can, you'll try it. I know you're going to try it. <laughs> you're going to try it. Listen to this. You guys, like we've never talked before, and your guys' system is exactly like our system. Exactly. It, it's telling you something. Yeah, it's telling you something for sure. Um, and <laughs> and it's just going to, um, it's it, yeah, I think, I think, you know, I'm looking more and more at like how we can be a part of that, how we can do more for that on the system side, right? So we, we're tackling the crowdsourcing now with Greenseed. We're tackling, okay, jobs and, and creating jobs from the marketing machine side of things and being able to pay our web designers and stuff and, and videographers and everyone. You know, in two years, we've put out 230 plus YouTube videos. Like some of this, okay, has to at some point turn into something that we can kind of make more sustainable not and it's not just for our immediate team it's like we're opening this up to anybody like you're in freaking portland oregon and and we're here in montreal like you could still be part of the team we're going to try and help you and engage you and if you have some skill that we don't know about um or that we don't have in our team right now or even if we do have but we're saturated it's like hey man we're going to throw things at you and we're going to throw opportunity um paid and not paid if you will if if you want it you know and so i think yeah, I'm just I'm just super happy to hear that you guys are are doing it. I'm super happy to hear the whole open source idea. I love and I've been looking at your plans and all the earth bag, the little modules and, the, and those under 150 square foot versions and stuff and I've been uh, and I saw that big community center that you guys designed and stuff. I think it's great. I think all of that is super super uh, phenomenal and uh, all I can say is that Valhalla and everyone within it and very particularly myself definitely support you on that and if there's anything we could do to help um by all means um but i just i did want to open it up to uh you know we're, we're i can't believe it's already been an hour um yeah. <laughs> but open up the floor to you to where people can go get more information how they can get more involved um and just anything you might want to say anything you might want to put out there so that people can kind of uh help you guys and join and be a part of what you guys are doing yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so our website's onecommunityglobal.org. If you want to see all the opportunities to participate, uh, onecommunityglobal.org forward slash helping is our helping page. And there's ways to participate from everything from joining the team as pioneer members that will move onto the property to satellite members, which are people that are a part of our weekly meetings um, but not going to move to the property, to consultants and partners, which are people just donating their time. And there's specific uh, pages on there that you can link to for all the different specific uh, trained individuals that we're looking for to join our team. And we've got a killer promotional engine for supporting those people that join us. So students or business professionals or people building professionals, like we have a really rocking engine for promoting those people now as they're contributing time to our project and indefinitely into the future for any piece that they've contributed to. And so there's, you know, that's the win-win situation that we set up for people that want to get involved as consultants or partners or of course donations you know our donations uh, link is on there as well and you know our our low overhead is paid for entirely by like five and ten dollar donations from people putting it in you know before people were donating to our nonprofit I was paying for everything myself and so um, little donations stuff like that really really make a big difference mm -hmm. and then bigger donations like anything that's above and beyond that because our overhead is so low is going towards our crowdfunding campaign, you know, because it's going to help. It's already money that we're putting together, so it's like, okay, we can afford to buy the equipment, and everything that we buy will translate onto the property. Mm. You know, so every little bit helps. There's zero waste, and I mean, there's zero waste in our organization. No, and I get that. I believe that's you. the point, you know. And yep. so, um, yeah, every little bit helps. Check out what we're doing. Our website is ridiculously extensive, and um, and know anybody that sends us an email like that email hits my inbox. And I respond to every single one. Right, every here. question we get gets answered. Every question we get, if it's not already answered on the website, gets integrated on the website. It's how we make it better. Yep. Like nothing is missed. Yeah. yeah. Every time you guys ask us a question, and I'm like, wait a second, there's none of that information anywhere, and I can't, I can't like link you to something where you can go read more Try about it. Exactly. Then that means I have to put it up somewhere. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's yeah. Exactly. So we appreciate that, and I'm sure you guys too. Like, oh, we do. I can't. I, I got a good question just last week. Like, I can't believe I haven't answered this yet. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. And we so. and and then it's you know it's a question of time too. It's not like there's some questions that we will get that you might not see in our site that we know we need to put up there, and we're trying to put up more and more. And that's why we built like the Montreal-based site and stuff, where it was very specific to our projects. Like, how much money did we spend to build this? How much, 
time? Like, how many people do, you, do we think we require? Where can you get how-to DVDs and plans and stuff, right? And, uh, you know, uh, as a bonus, like, you can if you can go and sign up, th- go through our help-out process on our site, you can get free plans to the Airship Greenhouse that we built. You know what I mean? Like, we're trying to give it out to you, and we're just asking yeah. for a little bit of help in return. Um, and, and, you know, it's a give-and-take kind of uh, situation. So... Man, thank you so much for being a guest again. Uh, and yeah, I would love to continue this conversation off the air as well, too. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. That's good. I'll hang out. Thank yeah. <laughs>